If you join me in Psalm 22, we're going to read something that is going to sound familiar uh, to many of us, but we're going to have to wrestle through why we are hearing something familiar in the Old Testament. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about intertextuality. I know that's a big word, big, you know, theology word, but really all it has to do with is this, that um, if a Bible writer in the New Testament pulls out a quote from the Old Testament and uses it, then there's something that he's doing there. You might think of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. You know, in that speech, he quotes Shakespeare. And he's doing that for a reason. In that speech, he quotes Amos, the book of Amos, when he says, let justice roll down like waters. And so he's using a kind of intertextuality. He's pulling from other sources to make his point in his speech. And so when this happens in the Bible, writers um, might use something, or as we're going to see, Jesus might speak some words that come from another part in the Bible in order to teach us something. And we see that um, t tonight as we're looking in Psalm 22. Um, I want to give you a little bit of introduction. It's up at the top of your paper. It says this, When we read the opening verse of this psalm, we will immediately be reminded of how Jesus spoke these very words on the cross. I'll read those to you. The opening words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, of course, spoke these words in the passion scene but that's not the first time they were spoken. They were spoken first in Psalm 22. And so, what does this connection teach us? That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. The Father's forsaking of the Son on the cross is an important part of the suffering that Jesus had to go through in order to be the sacrifice that we needed. Remember on Sunday when we were talking about the sacrifice of Jesus and we talked about the betrayal was something that Jesus had to go through. It wasn't just accidental. It was a part of, of his suffering being built up so that he could identify with us. The Bible says that he was tempted and tried in every way that we are, but he was yet without sin. So everything that happened to Jesus had to happen to Jesus for him to be the sacrifice that we needed. But before Jesus spoke these words... They had a particular meaning for David. And if we can get in David's shoes in Psalm 22, we can understand a little bit more about the meaning when Jesus utters these words on the cross. We'll try to see how this happens. And really, I know I say that I'm teaching Psalm 22. Really, I'm only teaching a couple of verses in, in Psalm 22. And, um, uh, and we'll, we'll try to... We'll try to go through that. But here's what we learn. We learn first about the afflicting God. Now, even that phrase may grate against us a little bit. David is here wrestling with something. He's wrestling with the personal tinge of his own suffering. 
Because however you want to work it, there, there are different views on how this works out. But the reality is, if God is sovereign, even if he does not cause our suffering, he has, in a sense, signed off on it. It has gone across his desk. He says here in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is deeply personal. Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. This is most surely best understood as a human response because it seems, it, it's, a, it's our human perception in the midst of suffering that God is absent, even when He's not. And so, for David, when he's in that fog and he can't see what's right in front of him because his suffering is so thick, you know, uh, Whitney and I, uh, when, when we were going through a, a time of suffering, um, we, had, we had just uh, gone through either our second or third miscarriage before we were able to have kids, and we just said, we just, we just kind of need to take a couple of days and go get away. And so we went to the mountains, and uh, we were staying there, and one night I said, you know, it's just, we just need to get out of the house. Maybe we can go down to the foot of the mountain and go into town and get something to eat. Let's go have a nice meal. So we got in the car, and going down the mountain, this particular mountain in Virginia, is uh, the, the way you get down the mountain is a lane and a half road that winds. There, there's, no, there's no center line. And if you meet somebody, you better be ready to meet them. And, and they, they better have their outside wheels on the white line, and you better have your outside wheels on the light, white line because somebody's going to end up at the bottom of the mountain a little quicker than they wanted to be. And I remember we didn't even make it out to the end of the road because we could not see. The fog was so thick. We just decided to turn around and make a sandwich back at the house. In the midst of suffering, it's like you can't see and it feels like God is absent. And so we kind of interpret that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is it really the case that God forsook David? Probably not. It probably just feels this way to David in the midst of his suffering. And yet, at the same time, there is a truth behind the personal activity of a sovereign God in our suffering. While many would rather see God as completely uninvolved in anything difficult, there is a kind of comfort in noting God's sovereign hand working even in our pain. There's a kind of comfort in knowing that God, what is happening to me is not out of your control. It's not meaningless. Because if it comes from you, even in an indirect way, if it comes from you, it has meaning and it can sanctify me. 
couple of places this shows up in the Bible. Job 13.15, Job, speaking out of his own anguish, says this about God. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. It's that human tension. Though he, uh, other translations say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. This theme will show up again as we look to the cross. The next thing I want to point out to you in these first few verses of chapter, or, or Psalm 22 is this human wrestling that David does with this back and forth. Let me see if I can read it in such a way that'll bring this out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Can you hear echoes of the people mocking Jesus? Riding that in jest above his head. King of the Jews. Slapping him and saying, prophesy. Who was it that just slapped you? Call down angels, Jesus. David, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. People are mocking me. Say, where is his God? Yet you are he who took me from the womb. It's God's sovereignty. The only reason I was born is because God's sovereign hand caused it to be. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravenous and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, and many evildoers in a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Is anybody else's hands and feet going to get pierced? I can count all my bones. In other words, I'm so famished. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. Anybody else got their garments divided in the Bible? For my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox, and I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. You see this mix of human struggle and then confidence in God? That's what David seems to ping-pong back and forth with. David accuses God of forsaking him and yet still calls him my God. My God. Personal words. He's clinging to the hope found only in the personal knowledge of the sovereign Lord. I'll tell you a quote that's attributed to Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So what seems to sustain David or the psalmist here is his insistence on trusting God who seems to have left him alone. So strange little, he's holding these things with both hands. He, he, remind, he, he recalls the mighty deeds of God in the past. He remembers God's kindness to him. He declares truth about him. How does all this connect to Christ? Well, he may have picked up a couple of things here. These same themes show up again at the cross. Where does this afflicting God show up at at the cross? The turning away of the Father from the Son was a necessary affliction on the road to providing our salvation. I'll read to you from... Leon Morris, he's, he's responding. Some people say that, <laughs> that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people say Jesus was mistaken there. God really hadn't forsaken him. I, I, don't, I don't know that it's ever good form to say that Jesus was mistaken about anything. But Leon Morris said, it's better to face the words honestly and to accept the fact that this was a part of the putting away of sin. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus? It's right down here, 2 Corinthians 5.21, letter B. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Father cannot look upon sin. And the Son was willing to become sin for us. So the Father turned His face away. Why is it this way? Because of the seriousness of sin. 
says this in Habakkuk 1.13, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. It says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Leon Morris, again, with the money quote here, so glad that I stumbled across this. We who are finite and sinners do not understand and cannot even begin to understand how evil appears to a holy God. God is so holy and sin is so contrary to who He is that he even had to turn his face away from his own son who took on sin for us. Now, while we may be squeamish about saying that God has allowed or even caused our own affliction, our suffering, on the cross there is no doubt. Christ was there by the hand of God to do His bidding, and it is good for us that it is that way. Isaiah 53 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush Him, and He has put Him to grief. Spurgeon says, Oh, that we could imitate this cleaving this holding on to, right, of an afflicting God. There is a human wrestling, though. Though Jesus never sinned, He experienced human uh, pain, should be pain, human pain in the way of obedience. His soul was tormented within Him, Matthew 26. He asked the Lord to take the cup from Him, Luke 22. He suffered physiologically, even to the point of sweat drops of blood, which is a medical condition called hematohydrosis. And while David experienced the temporary distance from the Lord, he felt like God was distanced from him, Jesus endured for us the forsaking by the Father that we deserved. We deserved to be cast off. We deserved for the Father to turn His face away from us, but instead, the Father turned His face away from the Son so that He could turn His face toward us. He turned His face away from the innocent so that He could turn His face toward the guilty. Who is this God? No God that we could ever make up And there is a personal relationship, just like with David. My God, my God, why have, have you forsaken me? Even though Jesus was genuinely forsaken by the Father, a kind of relationship continued. Because Jesus, too, said these words. He said the words, my God, my God. Spurgeon says here, the third little hash mark, the spirit of adoption was strong within the suffering Son of Man. And Leon Morris says, but abandonment is not the whole story. 
the human Jesus felt and gave expression to the abandonment, but he also retained or kept his trust. My points to a continuing relationship. Isn't this so hard to comprehend how Jesus on the cross could at once say, God, you have in a way, in some way that we can't quite get our heads around, in some way the Father had to turn his face away from the Son. But also in some way that relationship continued between these two members of the Trinity. So how can we apply this? We should give praise to God for how he brings Old Testament passages into the New Testament to fill out their meaning. The real experiences of David are taken up by Jesus on the cross to make a point about how Jesus really did suffer as a human in a way that's similar to how David suffered as a human. Jesus' suffering, though, of course, was without sin. We should, secondly, entrust ourselves to this sovereign God. Even when He seems to wound us, we should remember that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, 6. And that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. And lastly, we should meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus. When we do, we can expect our hearts to be rightly motivated towards service, worship, and living. Why don't we ask God to do these things in our hearts tonight? Let's pray.